When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 26, and we're recording on May 18th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here as usual with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to be talking about books about the arts. But before we get into our science fiction and fantasy news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Flatiron Books and Legendary by Stephanie Garber. So after being swept up in the magical world of Caravelle, Donatella Dragna has finally escaped her father and saved her sister Scarlet from a disastrous arranged marriage. The girls should be celebrating, but Tella isn't yet free. She made a desperate bargain with a mysterious criminal, and the time to repay the debt has come. And of course, if you've seen Caravelle before by Stephanie Garber, this is the sequel to Caravelle. Um... That book cover was very popular. We had Mm -hmm. it on the Book Riot Instagram often. And this is one of those stories of sisterly love. And the hero is the sister trying to rescue her sister. Um, I love those sororal stories. So if you're interested in that and some fantasy and some intrigue, you should pick up Legendary by Stephanie Garber. Thank you so much to Flatiron Books for sponsoring today's show. Mm Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. So do you want to kick us off with the first story? Yes. I want to talk about She-Ra. I have like no doubts about what I want to talk about first. (laughs) Although you you are the one who put this in the agenda, but I I was delighted to see it. Um, So the story here is that we have known for a little while now that uh, She-Ra, the Princess of Power, the cartoon that many of us grew up on, um, was getting a remake, and Noelle Stevenson is involved. She's the executive producer, co-executive producer, Um, and I was super excited about it then when I heard about it, like what is not to be excited about. Um, Noelle Stevenson is the one who was part of the creative team behind Lumberjanes, and she wrote... Um, and published Nimona back when she was just like an art student, which just blows my mind. Um, and it now, of course, has like much wider distribution. But I remember reading it on Tumblr. Like, I was, I guess what I'm saying is I've been following Stevenson for a while and I'm really excited to see her take on She-Ra. And so recently they gave a first look um, in EW uh, to like, so you had to see the the sort of vibe and it's it's gorgeous it's so pretty we you should definitely click on the link in the show notes it's beautiful um and the show is going to be on netflix which makes me super happy because that's how i watch 90 percent of my tv at this point these are netflix or hulu and it's going to come out later this year, so we don't even have that long to wait. Um, and they also did, uh, they they published who's going to be in the cast and did a photo. And, oh, this is like a beautiful distribution of people, right? Like I totally. 
It's just so many interesting people doing voice work, um, including Sandra Oh, who I have like the biggest love for, um, and Rush Machete, who's another person that I think is great. Like, there's so many great people doing voice work already for this show. Like, I, I cannot wait. What do you think? I knew. I mean, of course, I don't want to break my own heart when I have these hopes about how something that is near and dear to me is going to be rebooted. But I knew when I saw Noel Stevenson's name um, that she was working on it, that this was going to be excellent. And it already shows signs of that just because of this cast reveal and the reveal of the poster, which I agree is absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I just love, I mean, I am, I was like, who are some of these younglings on this? (laughs) Because I am not like in tune with some of the younger TV programming. (laughs) But I've heard like on the back channel, people were talking about it on Book Riot's back channel. And everybody seems to love Amy Carrero, who's going to be playing She-Ra. She's from Young and Hungry. So I'm really excited to see what she does um, with the voice work. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like... I don't remember if when we first talked about it, because we talked about this a while ago when it was like part of a whole story about a bunch of different reboots on Netflix that were coming up. And I don't remember if they had a release date, Um, but I'm really excited just to have this reminder that it's coming up kind of soon, like at least this year. So I was, I am, I am with you as well. I'm a streaming, um, a streaming TV watcher. So I'm probably going to, no, I am absolutely going to binge on these shoot episodes. And I, I just can't wait. It looks fantastic. I really, I hope you all click on the link and look at this picture, like both the poster and the cast picture, because they're both lovely sites. It's real good. And you know, what's interesting about Amy Carrero, because I had to look her up too. I did Mm -hmm. not know her name, like some of these other names I knew, um, but I did not know her. And um, she is also the voice behind Disney's first Latina princess. And she is Latina herself. And, um, and I'm so curious now, like, does that mean She-Ra is going to be Latina? Like, are they going to carry that into the cartoon? Oh, yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, weirdly, probably in the world of Grayskull, like, that's not a thing, right? Like, the, our, like, racial designations don't mean anything in the world of cartoons necessarily. But I'm just curious, like, will she be browner? Like, what What will ha- I, I don't know. I mean, it's it kind of, you know, who knows what will happen. But that um, was very exciting to me. That's very valid because you can't actually see She-Ra in this poster. Like, no, it's you just can't see her. Yeah, and like it looks like her hair is blonde, but like who knows? Like it, it like she's very. Yeah, silhouette is exactly right. Like you get a little outline, but you have no idea what she actually looks like. So mm, that's an interesting point. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want to get like my hopes too high. Yeah, up, but it would be really <laughs> cool if it wasn't just like you know the pasty like Hanna Barbera skin tone that they used forever for everyone. Oh my goodness, um, I remember that. Right, it's like a specific palette. <laughs> it's a very specific color. I don't know what it's called, but it is a very specific color. <laughs> So, yeah. oh my goodness. Well, you can trust all those listeners out there that we will be following up, staring yes. at the internet for more updates about this. And hopefully, they do some more reveals or like a trailer. Mm-hmm. I really can't I, wait I for a trailer. I was really hoping for a trailer. We have not got one yet, though. No, we didn't. We got there's like a video here, but it's like mo- <laughs> they have like a montage of like some snippets of Noel Stevenson's social media where she's yes. talking about wig extensions. Like it's hair so extensions. weird. I was like, wait, what? What am I, I guess watching? that was 
Like, I think the hair extensions were part of her announcement, but it was still oh. really odd. I, I was also confused by the video in this article. I was just like, is this, it's just literally screen caps? Like, what's happening? It's so funny. I mean, Noel Stevenson is a, a hilarious and entertaining person. So it's, it's, it's in theme. <laughs> Let's just say yeah. that. Okay. Um, I don't want to make this show the Ursula Le Guin show, but... <laughs> I still want to talk about this, even though I feel like I talk about her, like, every single episode. But this is really exciting. Um, there's a new documentary that's going to explore the life and legacy of Ursula K. Le Guin, who we are constantly ranting and raving about. And this was actually kickstarted. There's a lot of this happening, um, which I, I love to see, especially in science fiction and fantasy, where there are these passion projects that get kickstarted. And I can absolutely see why something like this was successful. So it's called The Worlds of Ursula K. Le Guin. And it was kickstarted actually in 2016. And Arwen Curry, the person who's making the documentary, has been working on it since then, since it's been uh, kickstarted. And they just released a trailer for the documentary, which I watched, which was beautiful. Like, the aesthetic of it itself is really pretty. And they also have a bunch of interviews from familiar names, such as Margaret Atwood and uh, Theodora Goss, who's the author of The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, which got a lot of buzz uh, when that came out. And there's also Neil Gaiman, who, of course, we all know. So lots of big names on this project, um, which was kickstarted. That's always, like, amazing to me that you can get these big-name people to be interviewed. But um, some of these are interviews that she's done recently before she passed away. And I saw snippets of what it's going to look like, and it looks really great. I kind of, my hope about this is that they're going to include, and I couldn't tell from the trailer or from this article, like, I, I just hope they kind of interview somebody who is a person of color about the importance mm -hmm. of having Earthsea in science fiction and uh, fantasy. So I couldn't tell. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think that would be great because, I mean, personally, it was important to me so um we'll see it doesn't it says it's going to appear at film festivals um later in the fall oh and it's actually going to be on pbs's american masters next year so it might be a little while before we actually get to see this like just casually unless you happen to go to a lot of film festivals um you might be able to see it i'm hoping that because i'm portland where ursula Le Guin lived they're going to have some sort of showing of it earlier but um i'll let you know if that happens what do you think have you have you seen this i did not watch it i'm having this weird experience that's i think just i don't know how to explain it i have had a really hard time reading some of these memorial things and it's not because i'm like so sad that i can't handle it or something like that like it just feels weird to me to read what she meant to other people and 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 I think it's because I still haven't quite articulated to myself what those books mean to me, aside from that I love them. And somehow it always is just like, oh, but that's not that's not how like I see what you mean. But like I have a different feeling, but I can't articulate what the feeling is. And so then I just end up like falling down this internal mental rabbit hole. It's a really I've never experienced this before. I don't quite know how to explain it. Um, And so I think I 
probably will watch this documentary when it comes out. I, I, I can't imagine a situation in which I won't, but I didn't want to watch the trailer for some unknowable reason. Um, and I've been avoiding certain like memoriam pieces on the internet, and I, I don't have a good reason for why. I will say that to your point about hoping that they interviewed uh, like some folks of color, there recently I put this in the Swords and Spaceships newsletter. Um, there's they recently did a, a like a preview of the art for the new illustrated edition of the Worlds of Earthsea, which looks amazing. Um, and the article I'll find it and put it in the show notes talks very specifically about how frustrated Le Guin was by all the whitewashing that went on in like adaptations and illustrations and like the Hollywood versions of Earthsea because those characters are brown. Um, yes, and it often gets like overlooked or forgotten or deliberately erased. And, and the Charles Vest illustrations like are so beautiful and so true to her vision. And apparently they worked really closely on that, which I thought was like that I'm like here for, like yeah. I'm super here for that illustrated edition. And I think it's something about something like something of uh, the dissonance is something about hearing people talk about the works as opposed to just being like in connection with the works themselves. And I haven't quite figured out what that is yet, but anyway, that's my weird story about, about (laughs) Ursula. I'm super glad this documentary is getting made though. I think she's so important for a lot of reasons. And I really want more people to read her and to know about her and to get to have their own experiences with her work. So I think it's really important. Yeah. And that's totally, that is absolutely valid. Like she, had such an impact on people. I'm sure a lot of people have mixed feelings about it. And it's kind of interesting because this was being worked on back in 2016. So I don't know how it might have shifted um, since its original, since its inception. But yeah, I can totally understand. I'm like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have brought this news piece. No, I I was actually, it was like a cool opportunity to think about like why why am I, why do I feel this way? And I don't have any answers, but it's yeah. a feel, it's a feeling that I'm having. So that's really interesting. Well, that's good to know. Like it's not upsetment. It's just odd. It's just odd. Yeah. It's surreal. Upsetment is not a word. <laughs> upsetment, a we word. can make it a word for feelings <laughs> we can't quite articulate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my feels is, is how yes. we would say it on the internet. Yes. Okay, well, where do you want to go next? I think we should talk about The Expanse because that is the newsiest. Um, And I'm curious if you have thoughts about this. So The Expanse, as you might have heard, because the entire internet wept um, from where (laughs) I was sitting when this got announced. But The Expanse has been canceled on Sci-Fi. The Sci-Fi is not renewing it for season four. And the last episode of season three will air in early July. But the um, television group, or excuse me, Alcon Television Group, which is like the one who's producing it uh, is planning to shop it to other buyers. So it still could be saved. But as far as I am aware at the time of this recording, it has not been picked up by anywhere else. Um, And one of the things that's been talked about is like, you know, I I don't know a lot about how well it's, I mean, it has a hundred percent score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is bananas. Yeah. Um, and but also, you know, sci-fi doesn't have streaming rights. Um, and so it just has the live viewing rights. And so it seems like perhaps the issue is that viewers are just 
are not watching it live. They're streaming it. And because sci-fi is not getting those views, it's not worth it to them. Because I imagine, I mean, the production budget is enormous, right? Like, it can't not be. Um, so it seems like the obvious answer is that they should have bought streaming rights. Like, why didn't do they do that thing? Especially for a science fiction show. Like, I don't know if it's just in my head that sci-fi people are more likely to, like, watch things digitally. That's probably stupid. But in my head, I'm just like, of course we're all streaming it. Like, we live on technology like this is how it works um but I don't know I I don't know I I confess that I haven't watched it because I tried to read the first book and it opens with this really extreme body horror sequence and I was like nope can't do it and I have since been informed that that is not like that it happens sporadically but that's not the major gist of the series so I'm I'm likely to try at some point to read it again and maybe watch it again but I'm not currently watching it so yeah, I haven't watched it either, and I think part of that is just because, you know, I'm always on Netflix, and I don't think I've ever watched anything, on like, recently on the Sci-Fi channel. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand the thing about why they wouldn't have the streaming rights either, like, whether that was their decision, like, they put that into the agreement, or whether it was right. on the other side, because in my head, my immediate next reaction when I saw that they were, that Elcon was shopping it around, um, was that, oh, well, of course it'd go, it'd go on Netflix, right. so, because that's what happens to a lot of, um, a lot of shows that get dropped, and they just end up finishing their series on Netflix because that's what people watch now. So, yeah, that part of it was really interesting to me because it does sound like it wasn't a matter of ratings or it wasn't a matter of viewers, even though, like, the third season sort of averaged out with the second season's viewer uh, viewership. And, of course, the first season had great viewing. So it doesn't look like that. And from the way it sounds, like, it sounds like fans love it. So... Um, I'm hoping that they, even though I haven't seen it, this sounds like a great show that I would like to see, Mm -hmm. but I would watch it if it was on Netflix. Like, I don't know. I don't watch anything live anymore. Like, that just seems so, I was like, what is this word live? Like, live watching? (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) Linear viewing? Yeah. I don't do that anymore. So it just seems almost archaic that this would even be. Right. A thing that somebody wouldn't have the streaming rights, but I, I think it's also worth noting that it is a really diverse cast. Um, yes, and and there's a and apparently has been doing right by its characters, you know, from everything that I've heard. So it's a uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I. I I like I want to say I bet it gets picked up, but. My okay, my immediate fear is that Amazon will pick it up. And oh, then I, yeah, then I can never Amazon. watch it. Um, because they like who can bankroll this? Like, potentially Netflix, definitely Amazon, but like who else is in the market for you know huge budget sci fi? Like, will HBO grab it? Like, I it's hard for me to think of who will pick it up that's not Netflix or Amazon. Yeah, I can't imagine either. <sighs> I think it has to be Netflix. Like, I don't see it. I mean, and then we have, I mean, not to immediately move on. Yeah, no. But then we have this other piece about Netflix, like, banking a lot on science fiction right now. So that kind of makes sense. There's this piece in sci-fi.com 
um, about how Netflix has been buying up all of the science fiction um, and related programming for the first quarter of 2018, and they're looking to increase how many sci-fi projects they have in the future. And we've been seeing, you know, just like anecdotally, if you've been mm-hmm. paying any sort of attention, you've been seeing a lot of a lot of that between like Stranger Things and um, Lost in Space, which we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming really popular. It's obviously doing really well. So I guess I wouldn't be very surprised at all if they ended up picking up the Expanse to go along with all of these because they are obviously spending that money on it. And if a show like The Expanse needs a big budget, it sounds like Netflix is the one to provide that. I mean, Hulu also does it. Like, they do uh, The Handmaid's Tale, so... But that one's not as... I mean, I'm sure the production costs are not small, but they're not, like, no. making spaceships or anything, right? Yeah. Like, there's... Yeah, like, you, it's mostly just cast and settings. It's not, um, you know, you don't have to CGI any dragons. Like, it's very minimalist, I think, very intentionally, so... Yeah, you're right. Maybe that is... Maybe Hulu does just go with the, the small, more minimal, less giant cinematic budget types of programming. Um, But Netflix does seem like they're poised to try and be more like an HBO. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that this this piece that we're referring to had some stats in it. And apparently, um, let's see, where was it? Uh, Sci-fi and fantasy took the top spot in viewer ratings in the Netflix original programming in the first quarter of 2018. And then apparently also more than one quarter of Netflix's upcoming original content would fit into the sci-fi and fantasy category, according to this report. Um, so 29% of their original content, like that's when you consider how many genres there are that's a lot that feels like a lot to me yeah and and clearly it feels like a lot to this person too because they wrote a piece about it um and I think that this just kind of confirms what we've been talking about all along that science fiction and fantasy really is mainstream now like this is no longer the you know thing that only nerds love um I mean we have Hope Couture and we have you know blockbuster <laughs> movies and we have Netflix producing Stranger Things and Lost in Space like it's it's very it is very of the moment and I feel fine about that I feel really good about that because I'm hopeful that it means that more of the stories that we love will get money like in any way shape maybe they'll get more publishing deals maybe they'll get tv deals like I I feel super good about this I also feel like perhaps there's a bubble that will burst but at least we'll have had what we've had I agree. Like, I've been really excited just this year to see some of the books that are, like, you see books coming out that, you know, have uh, film rights sold before Mm -hmm. they, when they're still galleys. So that's been really exciting to me. And I'm on the same page with you. Like, the more we can, the more money we can put behind this genre that we all obviously love the better it's going to be and yeah i can't i can't wait to see what netflix ends up doing what else they buy up and what i'm going to be spending way too much time <laughs> watching <laughs> I lost a whole weekend to Lost in Space, and I was not sad about it. (laughs) Not sad. That's great. Excellent use of your time. Right? (laughs) Yes. Not even joking. Nope. All right. I think that's that's it for our news stories. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about our giveaway? 
Oh, yes. So our second sponsor is us because we are doing another giveaway. It is uh, launching on Monday the 21st, which will be, this will air two days after that, so you are good to go. Um, we're giving away $500 to the bookstore of your choice, which means you get a gift card. So you literally, wherever you are, you can pick a bookstore and say, I want the gift card here, and if you win, you will get the $500 gift card. Um, and you can go to bookriot.com slash bookstore500 for that. I love when we do this type of giveaway because <laughs> I am like immediately need to know which bookstore the winner picked like wait tell me tell me what is your bookstore <laughs> and it, and there's I mean uh, it could be Amazon I guess but like I, I'm always hopeful that it'll be some shop I haven't heard of that I can then like find on Instagram and follow them and be excited about bookstores so that's that's my story about that so anyway you should <laughs> sign up for this giveaway again it's bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 I would love it if they went to some really cute little indie shop. Right? And I mean, I always want pictures of people winning yes. these things, but that would be extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I want to see the stack that you bought with your $500. Like, oh, show me man. your new library. <laughs> I'm here for your new library. So beautiful. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. All right, let's see. So we picked a theme that was, if I recall correctly, suggested by one of the insiders in the forum, um, books about the arts, by which we mean we were looking for books, sci-fi and fantasy books that revolved around a fine art in some way like music or, you know, fine arts or painting or crafting or whatever. So that was sort of our... That was our mission with this theme. Um, and I have been talking about this book on and off for a while. And it was just another excuse for me to talk about it. It's Chimes by Anna Smale is my sort of sci-fi pick. It's actually, I, like, it depends on how you read the mechanism by which the the plot hinges around. Um, I read it as science but I could see how you could read it as fantasy Anyway, this is my music pick. So this takes place in a reimagined London that appears to be sort of a post-collapse situation. Like there's, you know, sort of remnants of things that could have been fancy technology, but everybody's like bartering in the market and farming and like it's sort of pre-industrial at this point. Um and the weird thing about this version of London is that nobody can form new memories. Um, they basically lose their memory from one day to the next. And so their lives are very much sort of circumscribed by this universal, apparently, impairment. Like, nobody can form new memories. So everybody has these little workarounds and, you know, figures out how to live their daily life, and this is just how life is. Um, and there's also no written word. There, It's forbidden. It's destroyed. Nobody knows how to write. Like, writing is not a thing. And so the primary metaphor of this world is music. Everything is oriented around sound to the point where the actual language of the book mimics this. And it's written by, um, Anna Smale is a violinist. So clearly she's classically trained and she uses music words that I don't know because I am not classically trained instead of adjectives. So like instead of quickly, it's like, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like lento or, you know what I mean? Like she uses a, a, a term from music to describe how somebody does a thing. And I did, you know, like I briefly played flute and band in middle school. So I, I remembered some things, but I didn't remember most of them. But it kind of didn't matter because you pick it up by context as you go along, or at least I was fine with it. I'm OK with being sort of dumped into a new vocabulary and left to fend for myself. Like that's not a thing that bothers me. Also, there's Google. You could Google these if you wanted to. <laughs> exactly. 
Right. So, but, um, but yeah, so, and in this world, you're following a young man named Simon whose parents have died and he knows that he's been sent to London from the countryside to do a thing, but like, what is that thing? Like he cannot remember. So he, he's on a mission that he can't quite remember. And he knows he has to do something that's important, but he doesn't know what it is. And you're following him as he tries to figure out like what he is doing in London and how to make his way. And he falls in with this like, you know, young band of scalawags who are scavenging in the river um, and get sucked into this plot that shows you sort of how this world came to be and like what is going on exactly. Um, and I thought it was so good. It was so different from most of the other books that I have read or had read at the time I picked it up. Um, it just was it just was a really fascinating reading experience. And I thought it was so beautiful. There's there's a gay love story. There's some really beautiful family moments. Um, there's this really intriguing mystery at the heart of it. Like there's a lot of really cool plot things going on and then the world building I just got sucked into it I was like oh let me think about how this would work like how would this work um it's just I just was utterly fascinated by it and I believe I found it because it was a world fantasy award winner um that I had not heard of previous to it winning the award and I was like oh why isn't this on my radar and I can see why it won an award I think it's just so good um and and her prose is gorgeous it's just gorgeous so I I love this book I talk about it every chance that I get so this was just another chance to do that but if you are if you like music or if you are a musician um this is definitely one you should have on your list and I've recommended it to a couple of musicians who do did report back enjoying it so like few <laughs> I was really nervous about that I was like oh god what is like <laughs> an actual musician gonna think of this book but they liked it so that was good um so that's the chimes by Anna Smail that's so funny I also played flute did you I did it was like the instrument of choice I feel like for a, for a little while there it was it was I played it in elementary school very badly <laughs> we can was- have what i was just gonna say it was either flute or clarinet like those were my options and i thought reeds were weird so i was like i'll play the flute reeds are weird forget (laughs) about those okay so for my science fiction pick which also revolves around music i chose space opera by Catherine m valente and I ended up picking up this book because uh i had half read it but it was i got I think I got like 10 galleys at the same time when I got this one. So I was doing like this neurotic going from one to the next and never finishing it. So I took this as my opportunity to finally finish this and my next pick. And I actually asked for a galley of this book, one, because I really enjoy Valente's writing. Um, and two, because of the marketing blurb, which is, in space, everyone can hear you sing. I just thought that was so hilarious <laughs> and great. so fun. Yeah, I knew I was in for a ride with this one because it's it's glam rock science fiction. And I just don't know how often we get something like that. So I had to pick it up. And this is this is a very novel, a novel, as you might expect from Catherine Valente, it's about an intergalactic talent competition in space. So we meet Decibel Jones and the Absolute Zeros, which is a band that might have played the same dive bars and venues as like David Bowie and Roxy Music and all the other glammy bands we know and love. Um, that sort of vibe. 
And Decibel Jones in the Absolute Zeros is very Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. But when we meet Dinesh Jones, who's the lead singer, a lot of time has passed and a lot has happened to the members of the band as is common. Um, and the narrator is serving some VH1 where are they now realness. It's like that very much so. Um, so all of this is happening. They're introduced just as something really strange and troubling is happening on Earth. These aliens arrive and they bring news of this metagalactic competition. And the people of Earth discover that their participation is mandatory. They have no choice. And who's been chosen to represent the planet in what turns out to be a really high-stakes uh, talent show, but none other than Decibel Jones and the Absolute Zeros. And the problem is, again, a lot of time has passed and the band isn't what or who they used to be, uh, but they don't have any choice in the matter and they have to do this even if the people of Earth aren't altogether jazzed about the selection either. They were not, they did not participate in choosing this group to represent them. Uh, but I've, I've seen space opera compared to Douglas Adams's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because it's sort of absurdist. Well, not sort of, very absurdist and comedic and it's a space adventure. And I can sort of see that, but I think I would say it goes even farther into absurdist territory. So it's more like if the Hitchhiker's Guide and James Joyce's Ulysses got it on and gave birth to a glittering baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, what, what? is this? <laughs> What does this dead. remind me I of? I can no longer podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, this sounds preposterous, but that is totally, I was like, this reminds me of something. And it took me days and I was like, Ulysses, this is what it is. <laughs> I'm just going to mute myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen. She's muted right now because she's probably having a giggle. I'm crying. <laughs> you have to read this and tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, and everybody out there, if you've read it, let me know if you agree. Because I don't know if I've seen it described that way before, but I swear on my life. Um, so I guess in case that wasn't clear enough, this book is absolutely banana pants bonkers. There's... A lot of chapter-long asides about the history of this competition, uh, which is called the Metagalactic Grand Prix, and of about the truly out-there species and planets that have participated. Like, I, I have a huge imagination. I usually don't have a problem imagining things, but some of these alien species and their ways were like, I can't seem to wrap my brain around this. Like, I can't even... I'm having such a hard time picturing them just because it was like something I would never have. I have no, I don't even know. I don't even know is the, what I'm saying. Uh, so there's lots of jumping back and forth in time between the present and the band's past. There's sabotage. There's some paranormal sexy times. There's vintage McQueen. There's comment, like commentary from the, this omniscient narrator. Just lots going on in general. So I would say if you're into absurdity and chaos and music, particularly glam rock and its golden era, then you might want to check out this book. And that was, again, Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. 
Oh, I just, I like don't know how to follow that. I, okay, two things about that book. First, okay. I will say that I do need to read it immediately, obviously. Um, but somebody, I can't remember if it was in the marketing or if it was a reviewer who called it Eurovision in space. Yes. And I was like, okay, that, that A, yes, sounds good. Um, but the second thing I want to say is that I have read Radiance, which is another of her space operas. And I totally feel you on the Ulysses vibe. Like her cat is a very wordy writer. Like she loves words and she loves to play with them and she loves to get meta with things. And so I can totally see where you're coming from with that comparison. I just like to, to claim that somebody is more absurd than Douglas Adams is like a bold, that's a bold claim. Yeah. <laughs> um, I but I love it. I like believe you, I believe you and I will read the book and report back. Excellent. Um, Good. That's all I needed from today's show. Oh gosh. <laughs> Lord. Okay. Here we go. Um, okay. My second pick is, of, is my fantasy pick is The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeko which I, I I felt like we had talked about before, but I did a keyword search in the agenda and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, how is this possible? Um, surely we must have mentioned it, but who knows? It's, it is the first in a series. The second book is out now and you should read it for sure. I loved the second book as much as I loved the first one, which is saying something. And the reason I picked it for this theme is because there is a bunch of like fabric arts and crafting and like forging of magical things in The Bone Witch. Um, it follows a young girl named Taya who is, uh, has the power of necromancy. She finds out by accident when she uh, resurrects her, her older brother um, who has died uh, in the military um, from the dead. Whoops. And, <laughs> um, and she has to then go get trained because obviously people are a little freaked out but it's a known power in this world. Lots of people have different kinds of magical powers. Um, and so she's a bone witch and she has to go get trained. And she like is not, first of all, she is not super into being told what to do. Surprise. And then also some of the people who are in charge of her are not super into training her. So there's a lot of like prickliness and, you know, backstabbery and all of that kinds of stuff that goes on um, when you have these really intense personalities in a very specific setting. Um, there's also, there is a lovely mentor, Bone Witch, um, and, and her brother ends up becoming her guardian, um, her undead guardian because why not um and so yeah so so in the bone witch not only are you following her from when she's a like a young girl first discovering her powers but it alternates perspective in that you are also getting the story of her much later in her career when she is building an undead army of beasts to go and like take over the world and you're like how did we get here like what has happened how did we get here and you don't know in the Bone Witch, how she got there. Like, you see some of her journey, but it really is not super clear what has forced her to these dire straits. Um, and then in The Heart Forger, which is the second book, it, I, it synced up in a really beautiful way. So you, the, the different perspectives finally start to sort of complement each other instead of just being very disparate, which I didn't mind, but it was really cool to see them sort of meld in the second book. Um, 
And you start to see like, okay, now I, I can understand more how we got to where we are. But I still don't know everything. And I will say that the book ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, uh, of course. Yeah, right? Like that cliffhanger, you're just like, ugh, <laughs> where is book three? Why are you doing this to me, Renji Pico? Like, why? Um, but there is so much detail paid in The Bone Witch to the trappings of witchery in this book like the 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 women are when as they're being trained I forget what they're called there's like a term for what they are um but they're being trained almost to be like 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 court figures like they provide entertainment and they are you know consulted by royalty and they're sort of like you know they have these status symbols in their clothing and there's so much detail paid to the way that they are sort of forced to pretty themselves up to be palatable because everybody's afraid of their powers and that was so interesting to me and so well done asha that's what they're called they're asha yes um and so, yeah, so the Asha are in this position where they have all this power, but they have to reassure the, you know, the other people around them who have political power. And so the way they do that is by, like, decking themselves out, except that their hair pieces are also magical, um, you know, things like that. And so it was so interesting to see sort of this very feminine craft perspective on magic and power and I thought it subverted it in a really cool way so yeah that's why I picked the bone witch for this um theme but also you should just read it because it's so good uh so that is the bone witch by Rin Chupeko I agree I love that book and some of the the Asha kind of it seems almost like geisha inspired yes, or something. Yes. But not in a gross way. No, which happens. So yes, but exactly. not not in a gross way at all. I love that book. I mm-hmm. haven't read the second one, but I'm really glad <gasps> oh, to hear Sharifa. I know. It's one of those things I'm tr- I'm always trepidatious about going into the second book when I know it's not gonna be done. And that one left me on such a cliffhanger. I was like, can my heart bear it again? <laughs> it's painful. It's like it hurts so good. It does. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think I'm ready for it though. Okay. Okay. So my fantasy pick is The Astonishing Color of After, which is a YA book by Emily X.R. Pan. And, I mean, I feel like everybody must have seen this book cover. Speaking Mm. of book, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, So where space opera was totally absurdist and off the wall, uh, The Astonishing Color of After is more like surreal or surreal and fabulous. And this is definitely one of those books where you forget. I almost didn't choose this one because I kind of forgot. I didn't really think of it as fantasy. Um, Because you forget that some of the events that happen in this story couldn't necessarily happen in reality. I mean, it can't happen in reality. Um, Because the story and the characters feel so real. And it's that phenomenon that happens with some of the best fabulous or magical realism books, in my opinion, But the story is all super heartbreaking and really gorgeous. Um, But before I get into it, I should mention that there's a trigger warning for self-harm and suicide. Uh, The story revolves around it. So just so you know that before diving into the book. And so you can skip ahead because I will be talking about it. Um, It's kind of you, you you really can't avoid it in talking about this book because that's what this book is about. Um. 
So it follows a high schooler named Lee who's all about art. It's all she does all day, every day, other than hang out with her best friend Axel. And the story actually opens with a kiss between Lee and her best friend Axel and another life-changing event that's happening in the background. And the big event in the story that happens right at the beginning and sets everything in motion is that Lee's mother is found dead from suicide at home. And Lee ends up being racked with guilt because she was kissing Axel while this happened. And she's left completely bereft by her mother's death. She asks herself all sorts of questions, you know, like, was it her fault? Could she have done something? Should she have been there? How could she have been, you know, enjoying herself while this was happening? But then something really strange happens that leads late or Lee, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think it's Lee to believe that her mother has turned into a bird and is trying to send her clues. Uh, but what her mother is trying to tell her and what Lee has to do is the conundrum of the story. But the clues end up taking her to Taiwan to meet her grandparents for the first time. And her grandparents have been kept out of her life. She's never even been able to bring up the topic of her grandparents to discuss them or ask questions about them without getting a lot of grief from her parents. And her mother has had struggles since Lee has been a child. So even bringing them up is kind of, you know, it incites this this tension in her family uh, no matter what her mother's mood is at the time. So going to Taiwan and meeting her grandparents is totally new to her. And Lee's half white and half Asian. And it's sort of like a culture shock as well when she goes there uh, because she's never been to her mother's country and she has sort of no connection to it until now. So the story ends up following Lee on this desperate search to solve the mystery of her mother and as she uncovers the skeletons in her family's closet. And the book ends up exploring a number of themes, and I think it does it really well, like the biracial experience, uh, mental illness, and the stigmas surrounding depression specifically, and of course coming of age among them. And I think Emily XR Pan was really thoughtful in her handling of depression and suicide, did not fall into that tropey, you know, the same tropey sort of stories we get sometimes that, you know, I tend to avoid. So I thought she did a really great job at this. Um, she also did a really beautiful job of incorporating Lee's passion for art into the language of the story. This kind of reminds me of like your Chimes book uh, because the language of art was definitely part of the story. For instance, Lee describes her feelings in terms of color. So her friend Axel will often ask her what color and that means he's asking her what she's feeling. So she'll describe how she's feeling in terms of shades. And also the way things are described have an artistic flair, which I guess can be said for a lot of books, but um, it's done deliberately and really well here. And one of the major conflicts in the story is Lee's fight to get one particular person to take her artistic aspirations seriously and to stop putting her down for pursuing a career in the arts. Um and the fantasy part of this really does revolve around her mother and this idea that her mother is a bird. 
And that's the part where I was like, well, I could totally see this happening. And I, you know, it's just, it's really subtle, the fantasy in there, but it's really, really well done. Um, And I like a story about family. And this one takes a really unflinching look at the family unit, how parents can be flawed and wrong, but not terrible at their core. And there's just so much good stuff here. Uh, And maybe it goes without saying that you will probably need a box of tissues to read Mm. this. I got really teary-eyed more than once during the story, and I was just sitting there after I put it down. I read, I finished it a couple days ago, like, at some ungodly hour of the early morning, and I was just like, how am I supposed to go to sleep now? (laughs) (laughs) It was just beautiful, though. I highly recommend it. Um, It's a page-turner. And again, that was The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. And that's our show. Gosh, you just, you just, you really, you, you won today, Sharif. <laughs> you won. Oh, Not that it's a competition, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, you can email us if you have comments, questions, show ideas, feedback at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Uh, we've had some great theme suggestions. So thank you to those of you who wrote in with them. If you have a chance, please do review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to see the feedback, and it helps other people to find this show. You can find me online on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. And you can find me on Instagram. I'm at, at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time.